Imagine if out on the tables out there, I put a Rubik's Cube, and I just put it out there on the table. As you guys are walking by and seeing that Rubik's Cube, I think many of you guys would have very different responses to that Rubik's Cube. Some of you guys, I'd put in the eager category. It's like you've worked on memorizing all the algorithms. You've watched the YouTube videos and you know them down flat. You've put a lot of practice into testing all the Rubik's Cubes. And the second you see the Rubik's Cube, you're like ready to show someone because you've like put all this work. You're like, oh, watch me. Like, look how fast I can do it. And you're like super eager and you're there solving it. That's one group of people, eager people, eager Rubik's Cubers. I guess that's what we'll call them. Sorry, that's how eager you are. You know the terminology. (laughs) Others of you fall in this middle category that I say are the frustrated cubers. It's like you've watched the YouTube videos and you've tried it a couple times, but guess what? It's like I always forget the algorithms. It's like you're trying it and you're like, okay, like I, I, I don't really get it. Or it's like, okay, I'm like not following, like, how do, I, how do I solve this out? Or you can get one side and you're frustrated and you're trying and you see other people that are doing it very well, but you're having a tough time with it and you're like, man, what's going on? And you just get frustrated. Now every time you see a Rubik's Cube, you're out there and you're just like, I'm, I'm over it. Like, I can't, I can't. I'm just done because you're frustrated with it. The third category of you guys, so I'd say if you see a Rubik's Cube, you literally just walk right past it and you don't even blink an eye. <laughs> Because I put you in the category that are completely disinterested, like you don't even care. Like I say the word algorithm and you're ready to fall asleep. You're like, all right, like algorithm, yeah, time to go to sleep. Because you don't care at all. It's interesting how with this Rubik's Cube, there's many different responses to it. Eager, frustrated, disinterested. All because of this Rubik's Cube. Different responses. Similarly, if we now talk about this book, there are many different responses that we have to this book. Some of you guys are eager when it comes to God's word. You see it there and you're, man, uh, man, I can't wait to read it. Every morning you wake up and you're like, man, I can't ready, wait to do my DVR. And I think a lot of us ideally would be like, oh yeah, I'm in that category. But unfortunately, I don't think many of us are in that first category, excited to be in it, eager to look at God's word. I think a lot of us fall under maybe the second category, this frustrated category, where you see other people that are really excited about doing the Bi- reading the Bible and you've tried reading the Bible, and sometimes you do it, and sometimes you don't. But guess what? It's hard for you to keep it really to become a pattern. And so whenever you see the Bible now, you're kind of frustrated because it's like, oh, I don't like it how other people like it. I don't get it how other people get it. Or maybe you're like the people in the third category, the disinterested. You see the Bible, and guess what? You really don't care about it at all. You, if even someone mentions it, you're like, oh, I'm not really intrigued. I'm not interested. I don't really care what's going on in God's word. Even just saying, oh, we're time to listen to a sermon makes you want to almost fall asleep. With God's word, there's different responses to it. Just like the Rubik's Cube, different responses to it. And guess what? I want us to be people who are in that first category, eager, excited to look at God's word. Because if we're in those second two categories, if we're bored, if we're confused, If we're disinterested when it comes to the Bible, guess what we're going to do with it? We're going to keep it on the shelf as I fall off the stage. We're going to keep it over here. Say, I don't want anything to do with it. Say, oh, put it over here. And unlike the Rubik's Cube, which is just like a fun and creative pastime, the Bible, which is God's word and impactful and life-changing, the words of God to us, if we push that off to the side, we are essentially cutting off our, our right and our left arms. It's like, 
not going to be effective. We're not going to be fruitful. We're not going to do and live an impactful life if we are separated from God's word. So how can we learn to love it? How can we learn to cherish it, not be confused and bored by it? Well, the solution is by learning from someone who rightly values it, learning from someone who treasures it. Just like the Rubik's Cube, you could talk to someone who's really eager about it, and guess what? They're, they're going to tell you why they're so excited about it. Oh, yeah, I learned this, and I learned this, and they're going to tell you all those details. It's like, that's why I'm so excited about it. Well, let's learn from someone who's really excited about God's word in Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. That's our passage today. You need to learn to cherish, care, and be excited about God's word. I think a lot of us in this room are apathetic towards it, meaning we don't care, disinterested. Maybe you're frustrated because you don't like it like other people do, and you don't get why I don't like it like this. Let's learn from someone who has a high view of God's word in Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. The writer says this. says, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Your law, which this time was being written referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, saying, oh, how I love it. Think about that. Oh, yeah, I love reading Leviticus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, I just can't wait to get into Numbers. Yeah. It's like, when's the last time we've said that? Yeah, dude, Deuteronomy, that's like the best book out there. My favorite book is Deuteronomy and Leviticus, learning about the burnt offerings and the grain offerings. I love it. It's like, whoa. Okay, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm like that crazy. Well, why does this person love God's word so much? Loves it so much, he says in the second half of verse 97, it is my meditation all the day. The writer says, I love your word so much so that I just think about it all the, all the time. I don't just say I love God's word, but guess what? I show it because I think about it. Meditate on it. It's like the cow analogy that I was given from last week about how the cow uh, eats on the grass and goes in one stomach and it goes back up into the mouth and chews again and it goes into another stomach. It's just always chewing on grass. And how someone who's meditating in, on God's word is someone who's always thinking about it. So this writer loves God's word so much they can't help but think about it all day. All day. When they're going to school, thinking about it. When they're at home, thinking about it. When they're with their friends, thinking about it. Before they go to sleep, thinking about it. Wake up in the morning, thinking about it. Well, why does this writer love God's word so much? Because I think a lot of us say, I don't love it like that. Sometimes boring. Sometimes confusing. Well, why does he love God's word so much? Look at verse 98. It says this. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. There's wisdom that comes from God's word. Makes me wiser than people that disregard the Bible. Your friends at school that disregard the Bible, if you pay attention to God's word, guess what? The wisdom that comes from Scripture is going to make you wiser than those people. For it is ever with me. Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. Say, hey, I understand more than other people because I'm all about God's word. I'm always in it. Verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. You see this theme, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, that God's word passes off those things that if we were to discard God's word, guess what? We wouldn't have as much understanding. We wouldn't have as much wisdom. We wouldn't have as much knowledge. Well, what would we have understanding? What would we have knowledge about? How to think, how to live, and how to act in a sinful world. We won't know how to do that. And if we 
push aside God's word, guess what? We're going to be ill-equipped to live a life that not only is pleasing to God, but a life that in the end is actually rewarding. A life that is filled with hope and joy. Not a life that is filled with sin, wickedness, and guess what? Hopelessness. Guess what? Despair. You see those people that live lives and it seems as if maybe they're happy, but guess what? Inside they're depressed. They're sad. They're foolish. They're not smart. They're unwise. They're doing their own thing. Guess what? It's because they've discarded this book. Reason why this writer loves God's word so much is the understanding and the wisdom that come from Scripture. We need to love the Bible because it brings us understanding. It brings us understanding. But maybe that's the very reason why you don't like the Bible. Is because, yeah, okay, it's supposed to give me understanding, but guess what? I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand what I'm reading. What's going on? The very reason why we should love it is probably the very reason why many of you guys don't like it. I don't understand what's going on. That's why this, the writer here says, it's my meditation all the day. The end of verse 98, it is ever with me. Verse 99, your testimonies are my meditations. What do I think about? It's this idea of there's always got to be in God's word because guess what? There's some difficult things in the Bible and it takes work for us to gain that understanding. It takes work for us to gain that wisdom from scripture. It's not just a casual reading of God's word. Oh yeah, I understand everything that's going on. No, it takes work. Point number one, if we want to love God's word, we need to work to understand the Bible. We need to work to understand the Bible. I think a lot of us in this room have gotten good, maybe more or less, depending on who you are, at reading the Bible. Like you say, yeah, I read the Bible all the time. But I think far too many of us read the Bible, but don't understand the Bible. You can read the Bible and yet not understand what it's saying. And that's pointless. <laughs> it's no good if we are reading and we're not understanding. What's the point of even reading to begin with? Think about this. Imagine if you were studying to be an open heart surgeon. And it's like, okay, tomorrow you're gonna perform open heart surgery and to prepare you for that, here's like this book that we're gonna give you, this massive textbook. Here, read it by tomorrow. And you go through tonight and you're reading through it. Okay, yeah, this is, this is how you do open heart surgery. And you're reading through the words and I mean, uses all these big words like um, atrium or median sternotomy or atrioventricular node or antibiotic prophylaxis. And you're like, okay, I don't know what those words mean, but okay, I'm reading it. Imagine the next day you come in to do surgery. It's like, all right, you ready to go? And someone's asking you, okay, you ready for the median sternotomy? You're like, what? <laughs> like, what is that? It's like, didn't you read the book? Uh, like, yeah, like, like I, I, I remember that word, but like, I don't know what that means. Or someone says, oh, are we dealing with the atrioventricular node or the right aortic valve? Like, what? <laughs> like, uh, I thought we we're just like keeping the good stuff and taking out the bad stuff. Like, that's what I thought we were doing. It's like, oh, so what's the procedure for antibiotic prophylaxis? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. It's like, well, didn't you read the book? It's like, yeah, like I saw those words, but like, I don't know what it's talking about. You see how even in that illustration, there's a difference between reading this textbook on how to do open heart surgery and understanding what the words are talking about. You see that distinction between the two, I'm assuming. And I think a lot of us, when we read scripture, we say, yeah, I read it. 
But if it's okay, what, what was it talking about? What, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. We have a difficult time with that. It's because the Bible is at points confusing. Yes, the Bible is clear. Like It's not trying to trick us up. It's not trying to trip us up, but there are passages that are hard to understand. Not every passage is equally clear. Even God's word makes that clear. In 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 17, it talks about that. In the middle of verse 15, it talks about how Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So remember how Paul was sending out those letters. Verse 16 says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Then it says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. It's like, ooh, thrown out of the bus a little bit. Like Paul writes some things and guess what? When he sends out letters, guess what? Sometimes in those letters, there's things that are hard to understand. It's like, ooh, shade thrown at Paul right there. It's like even the Bible knows that, hey, yeah, a lot of things maybe it is understandable, but guess what? There are passages in Scripture and verses that are difficult to understand. Don't be ashamed if sometimes you come to the Bible and you're like, I don't know what it's talking about. It's confusing sometimes. It's difficult. But rather than just saying, oh, it's hard to understand, so I'm just going to skip that verse because it doesn't really matter. Or it's hard to understand, so I'm good. No, we should work to understand it. We should seek to, man, what is that verse really talking about? I mean, Jesus in the New Testament made clear how important every word of God is. Remember when we talk about verbal plenary inspiration, whereas every single word is exactly what God wanted in this book. So then for us to say, oh, I don't know what that verse is saying, so I'm just going to skip it. That's like saying those words of God don't matter to me. Yeah, that chapter in the Bible that God wants us for us to hear, yeah, I don't care about it. What? No, we should work to understand what God wants us to say. And guess what? There are so many tools available to you guys. Hopefully when you do your DBR, you don't just use something that looks like this. Just a normal, normal looking Bible. Hopefully, you have something that's called a study Bible that has notes maybe on the sides of it or underneath it. So you're like, man, what is this verse talking about? And you can look down, and there's some explanation for it. Study Bibles are such a great tool for us to understand what we're reading, not just to read it. Not just to go, oh, yeah, I read Job 42. It was about something about Job. I read it today. Yeah, good. It's like, well, what was it talking about? Uh, something about Job's life stinks. It's like, <laughs> did you really understand or did you just read you know, understand, study Bible, commentaries, biblical scholars explaining, sometimes in the original language, this is what's taking place. This is what this verse means. Or here's how different people understand this verse. That's why you have your leaders, your parents, myself. We're here so that when there's things in the Bible that you're like, that's confusing. That doesn't make any sense. We're not going to be like, oh, stop asking questions. No, stop. No. You're, you don't get it? You're dumb. Huh. What? You don't understand it? Oh, stop. Yeah, you should just know it. No, that's what we're here for. That's what your leaders sitting with you are here for, to help answer your questions about the Bible because there are things that are confusing, that are understanding. Some of the words that we don't use in our everyday language, it's like, what is that even talking about? You need to work to understand the Bible. I think a lot of you guys understand that there are things that are confusing and we need to work to understand them. Others of you might think the Bible is actually not confusing. Like I already kind of know it all. And you say, oh yeah, I already know it all. Or maybe some of you maybe won't say that explicitly, 
but I can see your attitude of, I kind of already know this. How can I say that? It's because this week I've been able to tune into some of your guys' flip grids and how you talk through scripture makes it seem as if, yeah, I already know this. I already got this down pat. Let's go to Job, for example. Go to the book of Job. We just finished that up in our Old Testament DBR. Today we started the book of Psalms. What I've seen over and over again as we're in the book of Job, it's, oh yeah, today we're reading Job 40 to 42 and Acts 14. I love how like sometimes that's like half your videos just telling us what we're reading today. It's like, yeah, we're all reading it. Um, <laughs> I think we get it. Um, like, no way, you're reading Job 42 too? Dude, coincidence, crazy, me too. Um, <laughs> anyways, you'll get to a passage in Job and you'll say, oh yeah, it's like the same thing we read yesterday. Yeah, like Job's life stinks and his friends say some bad things. And maybe that's showing that you don't really understand what's going on, but maybe you're showing that, oh man, it, I've already known the book of Job. I already kind of know what happens. It's like, well, what about the details of each verse that, that's being talked about? Do you understand what's really going on? I think oftentimes we throw out that masquerade of like, oh yeah, this is what happened in Job if, when we really don't understand the details. Like look at Job 42, for example. There's a lot of flip grids that look like this. Oh guys, I read Job 40 to 40, 42 today and it was a good DBR. I liked it. Um, and what I got from Job 42 was that Job, Job confess, confesses and he repents. And then the Lord rebukes Job's free, three friends. And then God restores Job's fortunes. Did anybody catch what I just did? I just read the, title, the subtitles of the chapter. It's like, okay, is, is that like incorrect? Did I like incorrectly say what Job 42 was about? No, I didn't. It's like, it's accurate, yeah, because biblical scholars, even though those words, those words aren't from God, the title there, you guys know that, right? Job's Confession and Repentance. Like, it wasn't written down by the author. This was later added by scholars. It's like, yeah, that's the general idea. But like, now let's read part of Job 42. It says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. It's like, okay, I get that. God can do all things. Yeah, I get what that means. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What in the world? Like thwarted? Something looks like warts. Like thwart, like what? What are we talking about? Like I don't know. All right, let's just skip that. Verse three. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Wait, why is there like a question? What? What is that talking about? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Uttered. Okay, what is it? Uttered. The udders of a cow. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, yeah, Job repents. It's like, okay, yeah, you read the last verse. But what about those other parts? Purpose of yours be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? What is that even talking about? I think a lot of us just say, oh, yeah, Job confessed and repented. We kind of throw that masquerade out there. Some of us thinking, okay, I don't understand it. We've got to work to understand it. Some of you guys thinking, oh, yeah, I don't need to know the details. I kind of get the overall message. It's like, no, every word of God proves true. We need to care about every word. We should work hard to study it because guess what? It's those things in verse, chapter 42, I guess what we don't understand. We need to study. What is that talking about? What does thwarted mean? What does uttered mean? What, what is that question? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? What, who is that talking to? 
What is he even trying to, what's the point he's trying to make? We need to work harder to understand God's word. What is this passage talking about? When we talk about tan, which is a term we use here at Compass all the time, tan, then, always, now. It's a way to not only read, but study God's word. Tan. The first letter, T, stands for then, which means we need to understand what this passage means when it was written. Back then, when Job was first written, what was the point that he was trying to make to those authors then? We quickly jump to, oh, Job, confess and repent. I need to confess and repent. It's like, wait, what was Job confessing about? What was he repenting about? Let's understand first what was happening in the original context. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of understanding. It's easy to look at this and say, oh, yeah, Job confessed. I need to, re- I need to confess when I sin. That's really easy just to jump to what I need to do. But what takes really a lot of detail is saying, okay, what does each of these verses mean? But that's when we uncapture the richness of God's word, the depths of Scripture, which is so good. That's when it gives us real understanding. And you can walk away from the the Bible, the DBR that morning and say, wow, I really understand what's going on in that passage. As opposed to what I think a lot of us do or say, okay, yeah, yeah, Job confessed, but like, yeah, I don't know what else really happened. I didn't really understand that. If we want to learn to love God's word, we should work to understand God's word. Seek to learn it. Another reason why the psalmist in Psalm 119, you can turn back to love scripture so much, goes on in verses 101, Psalm 119, verse 101. Why does the psalmist love scripture so much? Well, first it makes him wise, he understands it, gives him knowledge, understanding. Verse 101, it says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. So hey, there's an evil way that I wanna go in But guess what? God's word says not to, so I hold back my feet. I'm stopping myself from doing what I want to do, the evil path. I say, no, I'm not, because I want to keep God's word. Verse 102, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Okay, God's word tells us rules. This is what we ought to do. It says, hey, I don't turn aside one way to the left. No, I keep on track. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's like, man, I, I love God's word. I crave it like it's honey, like it's a good thing, like it's sweet to my, like I enjoy it. It's a good thing. Through your precepts, your commands, your rules, I get understanding. So we talked about before, knowledge, wisdom. Therefore, I hate every false way. One of the reasons why we don't love God's word is because maybe you've tried reading it. You read it every now and then. You read it one day. And guess what? Nothing happens. Okay, yeah, I can say to my small group leader that I read it, but it doesn't really make a difference. Then you read it tomorrow, and okay, cool. It was kind of the same, same day as yesterday. And then two days, you skip DBR, and guess what? Your days kind of looked the same as the days you did read the Bible. And then on Sunday, you come to church, and you, yeah, listen to a sermon, but guess what? The rest of your day kind of looks the same and doesn't look any different at all. One of the reasons why the psalmist love God's word, not only because it builds up knowledge and understanding, but because it makes clear what he ought to do, how he ought to live, and guess what? He does it. Point number two, we need to, simple point, do what the Bible says. Do what the Bible says. You could even put a caveat there. I said this last night. 
actually do what the Bible says? Do we actually do it? Maybe you're taking notes and you're like, okay, this is what I need to do this week. Are you someone who does that every week and doesn't do anything about God's word? Because just like reading but not understanding is pointless, reading and understanding without doing, what good is that? If we read God's word and says, this is what it tells me to do, and then you go away and you don't do anything, why did we just read? <laughs> what was the point of that? To build up our minds? Okay, great. But it causes no change. What, what, what good is that? Imagine, I know this is two weeks in a row, but guys, imagine you're going on a date. It's like, yeah, two weeks in a row. Now I've got your attention. It's like, oh yeah, going on a date, sweet. Um, girls, you can imagine you're going on a date too, but um, yeah, everyone imagine you're going on a date. And you look in the mirror before you go on this date because you want to make sure you look nice. And you look in the mirror and you see your hair is all out of whack. It's all messed up all over the place. You've got that bedhead looking thing in the back of your head. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like six. Now, now everyone's like checking their hair. They're like, man, like, is that me right now? Well, hopefully you looked in the mirror. It's like you look in the mirror, you see that. You see like there's stuff in your teeth. It's like food in your teeth from like, it's like, ooh, that's kind of gross. It's all nasty, grimy. It's like, like leftover from dinner last night. It's like you look in there, you see that, it's gross. You've got like the crusties in your eyes, you know what I'm saying? When you wake up in the morning, you've got that gunk stuff, like you got to like wipe out of your eyes. It's like, oh yeah, man, I got a lot of fixing up to do. There's like a big old booger in, in your nose. It's like, like, you see in the mirror, like, oh man, like there's a lot to like clean up. Like, good thing I looked into the mirror. Now imagine you see all that, you're like, yeah, man, I got to get ready. I need to fix all this stuff. And then you turn away from the mirror, and then right when you turn away from the mirror, you forget everything that you just saw. You forget it altogether. It's like Dory. You like turn away, and you're like, I guess it's good to go on the date. Let's go on the date. <laughs> Could you imagine all that stuff going on a date? Ooh, gross. That'd be awful. That'd be terrible. It's like, okay, what good was it to look in the mirror and to walk away and not do anything about what you just saw in the mirror? It's pointless. God's word makes a very similar point in James 1.22 through 24. It says this in James 1.22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Say, hey, if you read God's word or listen to it, but don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. What good is that? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, so if this is just someone that doesn't do it but just listens to it, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So it's like a guy that looks in a mirror that we just talked about. Looks in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's like the person looks in the mirror. Oh man, there's a lot to change. And then turns away. Doesn't do anything. Forgets what, what he even looked like. It's like. That's kind of pointless. So too is someone who hears God's word and doesn't do it. Oh yeah, this is what I, I'm supposed to be doing. But then you get home and nothing happens. Nothing changes. Do you do what the Bible says, or do you talk about doing what the Bible says, but don't do it? I think that happens for a lot of us. Let's take your flip grids again, for example. Okay, yeah, I read the, the book of Job, and this is, this is what I'm going to do about it. Do you actually do it? I think a lot of us, the answer would be no. 
oh yeah, I read Job and he said this, or I read in the Psalms and it said this, or I read in Acts and this is what I should do. Well, the next day, can you say that you've done that or not? Or are you just talking about doing what the Bible says? Or are you actually doing what the Bible says? How about in small groups? We're talking about the sermons from the weekend. It's like, okay, this is, I need to read God's word more. Or I need to pray more. And, you know, I need to obey my parents. Do we talk about doing those things? And then we go home and then it's like we've turned away from the mirror and totally forgot. And it's like, oh, forgot what, what, what we even talked about. What good is it to talk about doing what the Bible says without actually doing it? A lot of you guys walk out of small groups and it's like everything just erases in your mind because you're back playing basketball or throwing the frisbee around or playing sting pong. And it's like, it's like we never even had small groups to begin with because you're not even thinking about it. You're not meditating on it. You're not actually going to put it into practice and you get home and you definitely forgot about it by the time you're in the car ride on the way home because you're not going to do anything about it. You get home, oh, should I do this? Oh, no, I'm not actually going to pray. And the next week you say, oh, I should pray again. This week, you don't pray. We need to do what the Bible says, not just talk about doing what the Bible says. You need to put it into practice, not just sit there. We also need to make sure that we rightly apply God's word, rightly apply it. If we're talking about tan, there's the T, which is then. That's the understanding. Okay, what is this passage even talking about? The A in tan is always. What are the timeless truths that are present in Psalm 119? It's like, say someone turns to Leviticus and they say, oh, a burnt offering. Okay, I'm right, reading about the burnt offerings. Okay, what I need to do, say you're on Flipgrid, what I need to do today is, you know, I need to find a, a lamb and I need to sacrifice it in my backyard because that's, that's what Leviticus says. It's like, whoa, okay, I think you're not rightly applying what that passage is talking about. You don't understand what's going on. Maybe you understand the then. Okay, yeah, they were doing these burnt offerings, but you don't understand, okay, what's the timeless truth that's being told in Leviticus? Is it that we're always supposed to be doing these burnt offerings? It's like, no, that wasn't the point of it. You got to figure out next, what are those timeless truths that are relevant in this passage? Then after you move on to the now, which is, okay, how do I apply this verse to my specific life? How do I apply to me? Go back to the book of Job. Go back to the book of Job. You might, you might have done this this week. You looked at Job 42. You said, okay, what I learned from Job 42 was that Job confessed his sin and he repented of his sin to God. And so what I'm going to do is I didn't do my chores yesterday. And so I, I need to mow the lawn this week um, because I want to obey my parents. It's like, is that true? Should you obey your parents? Should you mow the grass if you didn't mow the grass, do the dishes if you didn't do the dishes? But what does that application have anything to do with Job's confession and repentance? Okay, maybe you can make the stretch like, oh, I, I disobeyed my parents, and so I need to confess and repent and then start doing it again. But if you're just like, oh, what I need to do is confess and repent. Oh, what I need to do is, is, uh, is serve more at the church. I need, to, I need to help with the two-year-olds this week. It's like, wait, where are you finding this application from Job 42? See, every passage in Scripture has one clear purpose in it. It's not like, oh, I think this passage means to me that this. And oh, this passage means to me this. 
I know like the common phrase to use is like, oh, my takeaway from the reading is. And while that not necessarily isn't like a, a wrong thing to say, it gives the idea that someone could have a completely different takeaway. Like, oh yeah, I think this means this. And someone else says, well, my takeaway is this. And then they're both true. It's like, no, scripture has one clear purpose in mind. If there's a purpose in Job 42, there's a purpose in Isaiah 2, Lamentations 3, Mark 4. Every passage has a specific intended audience. That's the then. We got to understand what was the author intending when it was writing that. Then from there, we go to the always, what are the timeless truths that are present in this passage? Then you can move to rightly apply it. Jumping from Job confessed, so I need to mow the grass this week. It's like, whoa, where is that application coming from what this passage is even talking about? And while that application isn't a bad application, yeah, you should obey your parents, it really doesn't have anything to do with Job 42. Do you guys see that? You understand that? When we do what the Bible says, we should not only actually do it, not just talk about doing it, but make sure that we're rightly applying what, what is this verse, what does this passage even really want me to do? How do I know what this passage wants me to do? goes back up to point one. It takes a lot of work to understand the Bible. People will twist it this way, left and right. It means this. It means this. We got to do the work to understand it so then we can move and rightly apply it. Because if we rightly apply it, it causes real change in our hearts. I think one of the last reasons in Psalm 119 why we don't like reading God's word, one is we don't understand it. Number two is we don't see any benefit that comes from it, any change that comes from it. Last one is because it's boring to us. Because we love other things more than we love God's word. We love video games. We love sports. We love watching YouTube. We love being with our friends. And we will prioritize those things over the Bible. We need to have the same attitude that the author of Psalm 119 has. Look back at it. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I can't help but think about it. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Such a good thing. It's like, it's like honey, I'm not, it tastes so good. Yeah, I enjoy it. Look even at Psalm 119, verse 127, a little later down. It says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. It's like, yeah, I love the Bible so much. A lot of us don't have that same love. Point number three, we need to to develop a love for the Bible. Develop a love for the Bible. You see, that gives understanding and wisdom, that it leads us to live a life that is pleasing to God, can transform our hearts and our minds. It's a good thing. I know in this series, we've compared God's word to food. And once again, in Psalm 119, the same thing, compares it to honey. I feel like I've compared it to like in and out in the past, compared it to like chocolate. Um, I mean, I could compare it to like my juicy steak that I had on the July 4th. It was like, oh, just so good. Like that taste, it's like compares to food. It's like, cause we love food. We just like, I mean, half of you guys are thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch right now. It's like, man, I hope we go here. I hope we go to In-N-Out. I hope we go to Pan Express. I hope we go to uh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, no, you can't go to Chick-fil-A. Ouch. Um, Canes, just slightly better than Chick-fil-A. It's like, I hope we can go to all these things. It's like, oh, it's because we love food. Can't help but think about it. Can we develop a love for God's word? 
Some of you have a hard time reading the Bible. It's a struggle for you daily to read the Bible because you love this world more than you love God. You care more about your sin, doing whatever you want, than you care about God and doing what he wants. And the core, the, the root of that action, that heart motivation is characteristic of someone who's not right with God. A lot of you guys aren't excited about God's word because you haven't experienced what it means to be saved from your sins because you are in love with this world. 1 John 2, 15 talks about that, loving the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. You care about that. You care about being popular. You care about being known as the cool kid. You care about those things. And guess what? You don't care about God's word. You don't care about it. You don't care about God because you're living in your sin and not submitting yourself to the authority of Christ. We're all sinners. We're all separated from God. And because God is just, he needs to punish us for our sins. He has to do that. The punishment the Bible says is that we all deserve hell, eternal separation from God. But yet God is loving and he made a way for us to be saved through Jesus Christ. I know you know this. But have you repented and trusted in Jesus? You can try this week and say, okay, I'm going to try to love the Bible more. I'm going to try to understand the Bible more. I'm going to try to do what the Bible says more. But guess what? If your heart hasn't been transformed by God, it's not going to work. It's to no avail. If you don't say, I'm going to submit myself to Christ, I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for me, you're not going to be able to do what the Bible says. You're not going to be able to understand the, the depths of Scripture. Ultimately, you're never going to have a love for God's Word if you don't submit yourself to the Lord, turning from your sin, trusting in Christ. You don't love God's Word because you don't understand and you haven't experienced the love of Christ that Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell. You know, this analogy is used a lot, but if someone jumped in front of a car for you, saved you from dying, and gave you the final message as they were dying, hey, this is what I want you to do, I bet you would treasure that and you would care about what they want you to do. You're gonna, I'm going to do it. Christ has died on the cross for us. And a lot of us don't care about this book because we haven't turned from our sins and put our trust in the one who died for us. We want to develop a love for the Bible. The application for many of you is to get right with God application for many of you in this room. And we can stop and we can talk about understanding the Bible and doing what the Bible says after that. But first, you've got to get right with God. Then your heart will be changed. Don't go after this world. Don't go after the things of this world. Trust in Christ. 
If you're a Christian and you have repented and trusted in Jesus, and normally you do love God's word like the psalmist does, but you're going through a passion in your life where it's just not as enriching as you'd hope to be, it's time to kickstart that. Time to get back on track, rightly love the Bible as we ought to. A way to kickstart you this week, I would say, is to read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119 every day this week. Every day. Whoa, it's 150 verses. Every day. I, I listened to it yesterday, 16 minutes. 16 minutes. I don't know if I was only one and a half speed or like two times speed, but the readers read slow. It's like 16 minutes is what it took. Can you take 16 minutes every day to read Psalm 119? Because this is what, Psalm 119 is all about God's word and why we should love it. Why, even though there's commands in it and says this is what we should do, why we should be like, wow, that's awesome. I want to do it and not a chore. Way to kickstart your love for God's word. If you are a Christian, read Psalm 119. Rather than viewing the Bible as a chore, Bible as boring, Bible as confusing, we should try to cultivate the same heart that the author of Psalm 118 had, how he loved God's word. It says he was right with God, first off. Then he was able to enrich that by understanding the Bible, by putting it in practice, seeing how beneficial it is. May we do that as well this week. Let's pray. God, I pray for the students in this room that are in love with this world, that care about being cool, care most about what other people think of them, but aren't right with you, haven't submitted themselves to you, haven't turned from their sins, are still living in their sin. God, we know that the only way to have a heart that loves your word is to have a heart that's been transformed by you. We know that happens by turning from our sins and putting our trust in you. So I pray if there's anyone in this room that they would do what the Bible says by putting their trust in you. God, help us to cultivate a love for you and for your word, not seeing it as a chore but it's something we can't wait to do. Help us to understand it better. Help us to apply it better. Help us to be on our flip grids, talking about the DVR. Even if there's people in this room who haven't even done that yet, help us, them to start reading the Bible with our church, with the narrow. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.